0: Hello and welcome to the parenthood. The path to motherhood is often an unexpected one, with women all over the world, thanks to scientific development, taking different routes. We've covered some of these in earlier episodes, from IVF to surrogacy, but with me today is a woman who's one of the growing number who are exploring the idea of future proofing their fertility. Sophia money is a journalist and author who found herself single in her mid-30s and rather than desperately enter into a relationship that wasn't right, decided to freeze her eggs in the hope that when she does find her Mr. Right, if she has trouble conceiving, that she'll be able to use the eggs she's frozen. But she's also shunned the idea of not talking about difficult decisions, documenting her egg-freezing experience in a brilliant podcast, Freezing Time, which I've got to say is, surprisingly perhaps, one of my favourite podcasts of the year. <laughs> oh, I'm
1: so thrilled. Thank you. That's amazing.
0: Oh, thank you so much (laughs) for being here, genuinely. I have so enjoyed. It's been just really interesting. I'm curious about these things anyway, but it's Mm. a great story and you've documented it in a really brilliant way. So thank you. So we're going to talk about the podcast a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. I just really wanted to talk about your decision process, you know, and how you came to that decision. I mean, when did you... Do you remember when you first heard about the concept of egg freezing?
1: I think I I first heard of it quite a few years ago. I think it was in my late 20s actually, and there were... I vaguely remember sort of adverts on the tube, like from like fertility clinics, advertising on the tube. And I do remember sitting on a tube and looking up and it feeling such an alien concept and thinking, well, amazing that science means that women can do this nowadays and how great, but I definitely won't need that and I'll be fine. And definitely, you know, if I was in my late 20s, I thought definitely in a few years time, I'll be married with one or two children and I'll have a white picket fence and a dog. You know, I just assumed that that was, what would happen. And so I suppose I was conscious of it, but it, it was quite a few years after that. I never, I just never assumed it would be for me. It just seemed, you know, too expensive, too remote, a sort of alien thing to do. Until I got to, I think I was 34. No, I was 33 when I broke up with my ex, and then I took a friend of mine in for her egg-freezing operation to the Lister.
0: And were, were a few of your friends going through this process no, at the time? No, this friend,
1: quite- she was the first one I knew of, and she, I was really in awe at the time of her sort of quietly getting on with it. She told almost no one, that's why I took her in to her, for her operation, because she didn't tell her parents, didn't tell many friends at all. And I just thought, well, how amazing that she, you know, has, she'd been single for a long time and has decided that this is a sensible, practical thing to do and said to me, Ossoff, would you mind, you know, it's my operation, would you mind taking me in and picking me up? And I was sort of delighted to be helpful because I was, as I said, so in awe of her doing it. But it was a month, that was a month after my breakup with my ex. And so I think I was still sort of weeping every day at that moment <laughs> and then wept even more. I remember I was the world's worst Florence Nightingale my poor friend sort of weeping in a hotel room when she was the one who was you know enormous from the hormone injections and she was the one having the operation and there i was crying beside her bed and that was the first moment consciously that i thought maybe i should start thinking about this for me maybe it, it would be a sensible thing to do because i'm i was 33 then about to be 34. and then i i think it, it took quite a long time to get my head around it you don't just instantly sort of start thinking about it and decide that you're going to do it partly Expense, but also putting your body through that, coming to that decision, I think, basically means admitting to yourself that you aren't where you thought you might be at this at this point in life, and that took about a year, I think, to get my head round. So it wasn't a quick, yeah, I'm just going to do this thing. It did take me quite a long time to get my head round it, and then once I had decided it, then I, you know, quite, then I think you want to get on with it because the whole point is the sooner, the better, really. But it took me, yeah, it just took me a
0: while to, to decide. And did you talk to your friends about the idea that you were thinking about it? And your family too? Yes,
1: I am lucky. My family have been almost too open, I think, sometimes about some things.
0: Um, I love that they know exactly when your period is yeah, due. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: yeah. My poor brother in law, <laughs> who I was living with and I went through egg freezing, um, yeah, he absolutely was there on the whole journey with me. No, I, I think, I mean, I'm quite an open person. You know, as a journalist, I have got quite used to writing about a lot of my personal life I don't really have a problem with it and I felt really really strongly and I feel really strongly which is why I've made freezing time that this is something that needs to be talked about more so I yeah I just always did I sort of you know shouted about it from the rafters ever since I've decided and I think I you know I do worry sometimes it means I'll never have a boyfriend again I'm putting off men left right and center by banging about my ovaries the whole time. but I still think that's a you know positive development for women, hopefully.
0: <laughs> but you know, for our parents' generation, you know, egg freezing mm. wasn't even an option, and I think they're often a bit more aware. I remember when I was contemplating surrogacy after after William died, and mm. I was advised not to have another baby you know, give birth myself. And I remember mooting the idea with my mother. And I mean, honestly, it was as if I had suggested that I should, you know, choose a rabbit as a surrogate. I mean, she was just so appalled at the idea. And it wasn't, I think it was just a totally alien concept to her. And the idea that suddenly she was confronted with the idea of her daughter going through this, she hadn't got her head around it. And I'm sure, had I pursued it, she would have got her head around it. But did you find with a sort of older generation that there was a sort of unanimous understanding for your reasoning behind it? Or was there any sort of, oh, you can't possibly do that? I oh. even had that amongst my friends. Some really? Of my friends who were like, you can't do that. And I was how like, how extraordinary.
1: With, I think with my with mum, my I think she was, I, she's been amazingly supportive and very pro it. I think there's a little bit of her that was quite sad because I think this isn't necessarily what she would have expected that I would have be doing either you know I'm now 35 and I think you know she's a writer as well and she's written before she wrote a sweet piece once about how whenever she sees me with one of my godchildren, it gives her a bit of a pang because she can see you know me being sort of maternal and you know giving them a squeeze on my lap and she so wants that for me so I think it's I think that was the that was the hard thing for her was getting her head around that and just feeling a bit sad about it I I've come across there are a few sort of very typical old school sorts I went to this thing in February, this theatre thing with some family friends, and there was a woman there who, I'd never met her before, she was sort of probably early 60s, mid 60s, and she obviously looked at me, don't, you know, obviously have a wedding ring or any sort of um, rings on my fingers, and instantly, her, literally her first her opening gambit to me was, hello, uh, what are you doing in your life? Do you have any nice chat on the go? And I was like, I can't believe that sort of in 2020, that would be the first thing that you'd ask you know a woman or anyone and and I and I, I come across this a bit you know in certain circles, that sort of assumption that if you're a woman in your 30s you' you know got to have a nice boyfriend or a nice husband and so I developed this I at suppose, whatever cost at, yes exactly exactly at whatever cost and so I developed this I suppose fairly defensive reaction. I'd go no actually because'm I'm, I'm having my eggs frozen, and then I had this hideous habit when I was going through it or before I was going through it of gesticulating at my own <laughs> <laughs> and you could see these sort of quite posh sort of middle aged sorts, thinking, Oh my god, she's a lunatic, this girl. No wonder <laughs> she's by herself <laughs> But again I just wanted to be really upfront and open about it and make people realise that it was, you know, okay and actually for many women probably a quite a good thing to do rather than it's my my I hate the word bugbear, but it is a bugbear of mine, that thing of feeling at this age that you've got to find him every supper you go every dinner party not that we've got any dinner parties or any sort of social activity at all at the moment but anywhere you go any wedding you're like you know eyes on stalks like who who where is he where's a single one who's who's it going to be Can I meet someone tonight and I I've definitely gone through that phase of feeling like that and I just can't bear that women feel like that because they feel that time is running out and so so that's why I've done this and I feel really strongly that that is a healthier you know it's, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford it it's a a really good thing to do.
0: And when you said it's a long time to make that decision what sort of time frame was that process?
1: It was about it was just over a year I think and it wasn't just thinking time it was also I had uh, the fertility test which is the blood test and the scan to check that you know everything was all right and I got very you know typically average results from that so that was fine and yeah so doing the test mulling it over working out where to do it where you know which clinic or hospital to pick and then sort of, well, then I was all ready to go. And I had, in fact, started some of the drugs when lockdown kicked in and all the clinics closed. And I had to come off the hideous nasal spray, for, which I'd been on, I think, for about 10 days. And that was a bit of a sort of kick in the teeth. Because by that, by that point, you're really, like, ready to go. And, um, well, and
0: also, you, that clock is ticking very loudly in your ear.
1: That's the thing, exactly. The whole point is, as I said, you want to get on with it. And I did just think, oh, God, how, you know, is it going to be months and months and months? I really want to do this. And then luckily it wasn't actually, you know, fertility clinics were allowed to open, I think, sooner than everyone expected in the end. So I was, I think, basically the first person back in the lister (laughs) banging on the doors, being like,
0: right, can we go, come on, (laughs) get cracking. I'd love to talk a little bit about the process. I'm just aware that people Mm. listening might well be helping friends make a decision or supporting friends or family Mm -hmm. in the decision or thinking about it themselves. But I think one of the things that's quite difficult to know is just a sort of broad overview of what... Because a friend of mine said, you know, everyone's going to have their eggs frozen. You know, when I only gets to 18, you'll just say, freeze your eggs. And I'm like, that's on the assumption that it's like, while you're having a smear test, we'll just scrape some we'll eggs just, out yeah. and scoop them in. Brilliant, that's it. But it's not like that at all, is it?
1: It's not like that. I, I think there is a perception. In fact, when I went to... So a lot of clinics now offer open evenings um, to talk about egg freezing open evenings. So you go and you're as a doctor and you ask all your questions and are dazzled with a bewildering number of statistics and you go home and think about it. And I remember going to the Lister's open evening and I took a photo on my phone and sent it on the family WhatsApp group. And it was just the first slide said, you know, welcome to the Lister's egg freezing open evening. So you think a fairly obvious sort of message there. And I sent it on the family WhatsApp group and all the men, my dad and my two brothers, came back being like, oh my God, doll, is it tonight? So much so much luck. I hope it doesn't hurt. Like, I hope you're all right. Call us afterwards. I was like, it was mind-blowing. Sorry, it's not like shelling a pea. I will make so much more fuss about this when I'm actually going through it. This is just the preliminary stage where I'm going to ask a few questions. And that, yeah, really indicated to me that a lot of people, probably more men, have no idea. It's actually, yeah, for me, it was exactly a month from starting the nasal spray to my operation. A month of two different hormones it depends so I've learned the word pro- protocol, protocol which I'm sure lots of your listeners would be familiar with the protocol that I was on it basically means like treatment plan yeah so I had to do a nasal spray for two weeks which is the one that is the down regulator and then as soon as I got my period I went well a few days afterwards I went back to the lister had another scan and then picked up my injections which is the FSH the sort of follicle stimulating hormone and then that's when I started the injections every night While still taking the down regulator, so you're sort of pummeling yourself with hormones doing opposite things, yeah. So the down regulator is basically telling because what they're trying to do is they're trying to make your ovaries produce as many eggs as possible, but they don't want you to ovulate, they don't want you to release them. So they're turning the the down regulator is turning your brain off from talking to your ovaries, and the injections are busy. Telling your ovaries to make loads of eggs, so they're just not communicating, so they 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 won't be released sort of too early. I make the joke in the podcast about it. it's a bit like you know in the lottery when they go release the ball, and they're all tumbling around <laughs> for some reason. I always have that image in my head. They want to stop that happening. <laughs> really, really scientific and technical. So, so yeah, you're pummeling yourself with hormones, and then they're monitoring you. You know, in the last ten days, you're having scans and blood tests pretty much every other day.
0: So you're in the clinic every
1: other day. Every other that was an hour's drive away from the lister, so it was quite quite intense although luckily i think you know in lockdown actually it was it was quite a good period to be doing it because nothing else was really going on and then and then there was this moment of high drama i had when i thought i was going to go in on the monday for my egg collection the operation and actually then i got a call dramatic call from the hospital on the friday saying your estrogen levels are way too high i felt great i felt really perky and sort of high in, in on life um they said, no your estrogen levels are way too high they want you to, they were going to bring your operation forward, I think, yeah, 24 hours. And so then I got the trigger injection, which is the bigger needle, which... That's release the balls. That's release the balls. That is, a set. yeah, exactly. And then 36 hours exactly after that, then you go in. I mean, yeah, obviously women who've had IVF, this is all very familiar, but then... It's
0: basically the first part the of first IVF. the first half of IVF,
1: exactly. You go in and then, yeah, have my operation. And weirdly, I think one of the things that nobody told me, I felt really bad, really rough for about a week afterwards... Is the operation under general anaesthetic? Well, okay, so yes, normally, I think. Although not, I interviewed one woman in America who she was conscious for it. And she was watching when they took the eggs out in the tube, and they were counting while she was watching on the screen, which seems amazing. I was delighted to be knocked out. However, my doctor warned me about a month before, he said, oh, yes, Um, just to let you know, we're not doing them under general anaesthetic at the moment because of COVID, because I think it's it's too invasive. If they don't have to if they don't have to give you general anesthetic, they're trying not to. And he said, So we'll be doing it under sedation instead. And I was very aware that the way they get these eggs out is by sticking a needle through your vaginal wall. And I said, like, Well, how heavy is this sedation? I really want it to be very, very, very heavy. And he's like, You won't feel a thing. And actually, I couldn't honestly tell you the difference between what I had and a general anesthetic. Like, you know, they wheel you down, the anaesthetist was there. I, Conked out and came around in the recovery room half an hour later. So yeah, because you don't, don't remember, same. do you no, no, under it sedation? Kind of I actually kind of love it. I've had a few operations in the past couple of years. I quite like a general anesthetic. amazing amazing. It's moment. like a really good sleep. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's bizarre. Very clever. So yeah, it's a month. It's really not a quick, easy. You know, you nip in and out again that same day. A lot of the forums for egg freezing, I, I discovered there were quite a few women telling their accounts and they said it was absolutely fine I went in and I was back in the office the next day definitely not true for me mm. I had about five or six days after retrieval I actually felt worse after retrieval than I did before lying on my mum's sofa because I, I think because I got quite a lot quite a few eggs I blew up and I had sort of mild hyperstimulation. so and then do you get your period afterwards you do uh, yeah I did I think about two weeks later that was fine actually no it wasn't fine sorry it was about the most painful period of my life and then weirdly for about two months afterwards I definitely my cycle was definitely still off a bit and I checked out with my doctor and he was like no it should be fine but I definitely you know I have one of those apps and I shouldn't always know and I've always been incredibly regular and it was definitely a bit off but i mean you know you shove yourself with hormones it's a big thing to put your body through so it didn't totally surprise me and i felt a bit bloated for a long time afterwards a friend of mine who's had it she said her metabolism was all out of whack for a while and she put on loads of weights i think you just don't know how your body's going to react to these hormones so you've just got to sort of yeah be very kind to yourself and ride it out
0: A friend of mine who, who froze her eggs, she mm. said, you know, what no one warned me about is the fact that it's a full-time job. Literally going into the clinic, right. injecting yourself, yeah. adjusting your medication, going back into the clinic. She mm. just said, you know, she wasn't working at the time that she yeah. did it. She said, if you were working, expecting to be in the office, like, you're going to have to take those weeks off. Right. I have Do you feel s- that?
1: Totally. I have so much admiration for, you know, my friend who I took in for her operation. She was working a really full-time city job at the same time. I don't know how how she managed it i was i was living at my sister's house during lockdown and i was yeah towards the end when you you know my ovaries according to my doctor were actually bigger than tennis balls by the end so you're really quite uncomfortable it's not a very lovely experience by the end i just i didn't want to go anywhere i just wanted to lie on the sofa and watch telly basically so no i think people are doing it in offices and i've interviewed this one woman who was inject. she went to one of her best friends wedding and she was injecting in the, in the at the wedding i mean that's amazing I definitely couldn't have done that.
0: <laughs> and without wanting to, you know, a spoiler alert, yes, yes. how many eggs did you get?
1: I got 22. Well, I came round and I was, you know, you come round and that's all you want to know because it's such an, it's the whole point about egg freezing. It's a, well, all this procedure in general, it's a, it's a numbers game, isn't it? And I was lying, waiting for the phone call, waiting for the phone call. And then the embryologist called me and said, so we got 29, but 22 are mature. So they're going in the freezer, which is kind of over double what I thought know, I thought I might get around 10 or 12 I was hoping based on the fertility test I'd had about a year earlier so to have that many was sort of extraordinary and wonderful because I was trying to weigh up whether I would do a second round if I got 10 or 12 because they recommend for egg freezing you put 20 in the freezer and then that meant that that was fine I you know didn't have to think about it and spend another fortune on another round so yeah that was that was great.
0: Gosh, 20, that is amazing. Um, I felt and, very lucky. And, and do they look at... I mean, they obviously looked at the eggs that were mature and not mm. mature, but do they do any further tests on the egg before freezing them, or they just... No, I
1: think you can. You'll know probably more than me what that test is called. You can have a test. Again, we weren't really told... I've learned this really retrospectively. I didn't realise until afterwards you could do that if you wanted. I So, no, I didn't. I had a big debate before... Before the actual operation of should I freeze some embryos, which would have meant going down the sperm donor route, and that is another what's well, another jump in terms of expense. It's also another big emotional jump because that's sort of admitting that okay, you, I could potentially down the line think about doing the single parent thing, which I'm not averse to at all. I just I just only got my head around the egg freezing thing, let alone considering that. So. In the end, I decided just eggs and no, didn't have any checks. I think you can, but it's quite. I think it's quite
0: expensive Yeah. test. I mean, I think, just going back to the embryo versus yeah. eggs, because freezing embryos, as far as I understand, mm. is more likely to result in a live birth than freezing just an egg. Yeah,
1: I've actually got a whole episode about this
0: coming up in freezing time. It's
1: it, is, it was the big question I asked my poor doctor, Dr. James, at the list that I asked him about 100 times. Because if you're going to go through all this, you obviously want to give yourself the best shot and the point about embryos the science has now got so good that with what's called vitrification which is basically which came in about a decade ago which is now that eggs can be frozen I think 500 or 600 times faster than they used to so it's made egg freezing more viable but the point is still if you freeze embryos you know that those eggs are chromosomally normal and therefore you know that they've got a better shot basically and because the attrition rate is you know that's why they recommend that you've you freeze 20 eggs. The attrition rate is quite high, and say I get my 22 eggs out of the freezer at some point and try to, you know, fertilise them. You, I might end up with four, three or four embryos only, and so at least if you freeze embryos, you know that's what you've got. You know, blastocysts um, in the freezer. But I then, oh, I just, I weighed it up. I went over and over and over in my head around it, and then I thought, okay, I've got 22 eggs. They're just going to go in the freezer. And if I really wanted to. I, I, there's still a little niggling thought I could do another round and then freeze those as embryos. But I also have a slight moral issue with this because, say, I got another around twenty eggs, and I and I froze, I froze them as embryos. And say I got sort of twelve embryos. I'm never going to have 12 babies right and I just I'm not sure I'm not a deeply religious person but I just I feel a bit funny about deliberately freezing 12 embryos when I'm not would never use them. chucking
0: anymore. them in the bin if a you don't bit, need them yeah
1: a little bit so that is a, still a tiny niggle in my head it's a sort of belt and braces thing if I really wanted to give myself all the options down the line then I could do another round and do embryos but at the moment I sort of want to you know get the hormones out of my system and not worry, and drink wine so yeah, I'm not gonna worry about it for a year or so I think
0: <laughs> and what are your chances of ending up with a live baby ba- now today As so in, yeah, yeah based on what you've got based in the freezer.
1: On so based on my numbers of eggs which is 22 and I'm 35 was 35 when I froze them I'm 35 I have between a sort of 75 and 95 percent chance of one live birth I hate the term live birth, it's sort of hideous. One baby basically. Which is which are pretty good odds. I think there is this huge question mark over egg freezing. And a lot of people have said to me, Oh, you've done egg freezing, but isn't it, you know, aren't the success rates terrible? And I think part of the problem is a lot of the it's it's still a relatively new procedure. The the data there isn't a huge amount of data on it, and also a lot of the data is lumped in together so that you you get a woman who's thirty five and frozen her eggs compared to a woman of, you know, forty three, forty four who might have frozen her eggs and they're all sort of balanced out which obviously makes the success rate seem much lower so I, what I recommended to, to women thinking about this is really really take into account your age your fertility test results and go from there don't necessarily be freaked out by the success rates or lack of them that you find on the internet in fact don't don't spend hours going through forums on the internet because it can freak you out.
0: I've got to talk to an expert rather than a forum. Yeah. Because there are so many oh, God. crazy people Those on the internet. Forums.
1: I know you do, inevitably. You know, every single side effect that I got, I was busy Googling my Google history was just sort of so embarrassing if it ever came to light. Um, when I was going through this. Yeah, you've really got to take into account your your age and your you know, everyone has that fertility test before they have egg freezing. So just, you know, look at your numbers, don't worry about what the graphs are necessarily telling you about everyone else.
0: And in terms of choosing where to get your treatment, you Mm. obviously went for um, the Lister, which is a private hospital in Mm -hmm. London. Mm -hmm. And in the podcast, you sort of jokingly say it's (laughs) because the doctor was so good looking, which I'm sure wasn't entirely the case. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely Dr. James. how (laughs) did you make that decision? And what did you consider? Did you look at lots of other clinics or did you just go to the Lister and think, "Oh, this is great? um, I had taken my friends
1: to the Lister and they had been really brilliant with her. So I was already probably a bit swayed in their direction. I did look at others. I've talked to Z12. And interviewed Zita for and I've been to Zita's clinic a couple of times. She sort of, I think it's fair to say, specialises more in miscarriages. So I mean, she offers egg freezing, but um, it was more expensive actually than the Lister. I think because it's not their sort of total speciality. And then there's the women's clinic that I looked at as well. And then it was, yeah, it was really going to the Lister's open evening, which was presented by Dr James. And You're like, I want him. Yeah. <laughs> Will he do the operation <laughs> in my vagina? <laughs> he, um, well, I did actually check at one point. I thought he was going to, and I made a whole sum and dance about my bikini line, and then actually on the day it wasn't him, it was someone else, because my operation had been brought forward, which is probably a good thing, actually, in the end. So anyway, yeah, it was really the opening evening, and I think you obviously want to end up with you know staff and doctors and nurses that you really, really like and get on with, and you feel that you can trust them. And I just had that with the lister, so I thought, right... You know, okay, let's go. I think it helps. I mean, I was. it was the right side of London. I was living at my sister's in Crystal Palace. So, I mean, it was an hour in the car each way, but it wasn't like up north. You know, it was the right side of London. I think that's something to consider because you have to go there a lot. So don't be hours and hours away from somewhere. But yeah, I think it really comes down to the, to the staff. And also the quality of the lab. That's what someone told me. The Lister's lab, I think, is really brilliant because that's the whole point. The embryologist in the lab has to be really brilliant because that's, that's, the, that's what you're... You know, yeah, the they waiting need to room be looked after, and the good-looking doctors <laughs> matter a bit less yeah. than whether you get free coffee and tea in the waiting room. But the the lab is the thing. Did
0: you look at their figures? Did you look at their success rate? Because I yes. think it's something they all sort of. I know with IVF, it's something they sort of shout about. Yes,
1: I did, and now I can't tell you any of the figures. They've all gone from my head. I did. Also, the thing is though, when you're when you're busy, when I was busy researching this and looking into it, all the figures after a while start sort of blending. And You're like, oh god, I can't
0: remember. who then well, also what. we all know figures can kind of be fiddle. I'm not saying that they would, but right, you know, exactly. I've heard stories again, you know, of some people, especially when it comes to IVF, is that they don't take the 48-year-old woman who's got, you know, a, a, they refuse sp- tree, you know, a difficult gynecological history, yeah. whereas the sort of 32-year-old who's not conceiving, but no one can see why, yeah. is an easier proposition. Totally.
1: I've heard that a bit about clinics. They don't want their stats being affected,
0: certain clinics
1: anyway. Yeah, I think, I did look at them. and I think the list is quite, tra- I think it's pretty transparent. They have quite a lot on their website, so I did, but, and, and yeah, and then, and then also they could, they could, they didn't have a delay because I know some places the sort of like waiting list and some clinics I came across, they do you in sort of, it sounds hideous, they do you in sort of batches. So they will start, they put, you know, so they've got 10 women coming up for egg freezing. They want to make sure they have the right staff in on certain days. So they'll regulate all the women. They'll make, they'll give them the pill potentially just before so that they all get their period at the same time. So they... And it's just sort of fa- it sounded a bit like a factory line to me. There wasn't any of that with the Lister. They were I like, "There's no.
0: more hormones." Yeah, exactly. I just
1: it th- seemed to me I really I mean I hate I've always struggled with every, every form of contraception basically, and I hate synthetic hormones. And I just thought, why on earth would you put your body through more when you're about to be sniffing and injecting all sorts of hormones? I just don't want to do that. I don't want to feel like I'm a sort of battery chicken going through this process, which is strange enough already. And the Lister, there wasn't any of that. They just said. Right, when do you think your next period is? Okay, based on that, we should probably start this then. And it was, it, it was relatively straightforward.
0: When you were doing your research, mm. I mean, you obviously mentioned that Zeta was a bit more expensive. Did you notice a bit more of a discrepancy around price? Like, is there a, nationally a description, to, and even internationally? I mean, I know that people go and mm. do surrogacy in... India, I don't think they can anymore, but, yeah. you know, because it's just significantly cheaper. And similarly, IVF abroad is often cheaper. Is, is this something that varies hugely in price depending on where you do it?
1: Yeah, there's so-called egg freezing tourism. In London, it's kind of much of a muchness. I think the difference between Zeta and the Lister were a few hundred quid. But again, you know, when you're spending this much, a few hundred quid sort of helps. Oh, the, the other thing to, for anybody who's listening who is thinking about it, the prices quoted often don't include the drugs and all the blood tests. So, I But think they do
0: include the storage? They include, uh, they include the
1: first year of storage. And then after that, I think it's about 300 quid a year. So basically I think the list are quoted around 3,800 pounds for one round. I ended up spending closer to 5,000 with, pounds with the drugs. Um, and the blood tests included so and
0: presumably the reason they don't quote with that is because everyone needs slightly different amounts. of drugs exactly it depends on your age and exactly and you literally go with your credit card don't you to buy the drugs yeah you go down to the pharmacy like 500 quid on your credit card yeah I remember
1: I've got a a receipt for 700 quid for the Menopur at one point point. I was just like You know, these little boxes that you're taking and I was putting back in my sister's fridge with the spring onions and the froobs it seems so bizarre so so London it's sort of much of a muchness what a lot of clinics will also do is do a sort of bog off or not quite bog off but it'll be three rounds for £10,000 they quite often a lot of places seem to offer that because I think a lot of women the average age of the British woman who has her eggs frozen is 38 and so I think more women often more often than not have to have more than one round so you get the sort of supermarket deal so that's fairly standard bits like some discrepancies there are some places i've got a friend who's looking into at the moment they have guaranteed i think she pays x amount and they then will guarantee they will get you 20 eggs so no matter how many rounds you put down i don't even i don't want to necessarily put a figure on it but you put down you know x number of thousand pounds and they say, right, based on this, we will, you know, even if it takes eight rounds, we'll get to 20 eggs. I, I, remember when she called me up. And she said, I found this deal, <laughs> found this deal online. I was like, I'm not sure that that sounds like the best the best well, um, is, way it's, to go It's, it's quite a
0: big promise to make because there are surely some women... I mean, presumably this promise was made having done some investigation I in suppose there yeah, all sorts of disclaimers in the still TV. Still, it does TV. Seems a, seem a bit of a sort of... No, I promise you, the tooth fairy is real. Yeah, I also
1: think it just doesn't necessarily taking the the woman's best interest into account, Matt. It's just, the, it's just the sort of fixation on the number, isn't it? Because that's what we've all sort of been told that we need to get. It's more expensive... I've interviewed American women. It's a lot more expensive in America. It's about $15,000 a round and i think they also tend to pump women with more drugs over there so they get higher numbers of eggs as so that's that sort of they do stuff a bit differently over there and then yes there are people who go to i think spain spain weirdly for a catholic country has quite relaxed laws on all this and for instance there's no time limit in spain so we have a 10 year limit at the moment on how long Eggs can be stored in the freezer here. There's no limit in Spain, so I know some people go to Spain or yeah, Thailand. People go to. I've got a friend who's gone to Thailand to have it done.
0: Then your eggs are in another country, and I I mean, you can get them over. There's like it's called like cryo mail or something like that. There's a sort of FedEx. You can.
1: I don't think it's ideal. And someone, a nurse, did say to me at one point as if they were sort of chicken eggs in a supermarket box. She was like, they don't really like being moved, so. I get it. I, I mean it's such a hideous expensive thing. I totally get it if it, I don't know how much it is in Thailand if it's a lot less and, you know.
0: But what happens if the Thai clinic then, you know, that's has a thing. power cut or goes that's out of thing. business or I mean that's the other thing to go, to look into presumably mm. that there is because I mean if the Lister goes into administration, you want to make sure that something is happening. the backup plan. Yeah. I
1: actually have gone to see them. I've gone to the little room where my, I've seen the tank where my eggs are, lots of spare batteries, lots of liquid nitrogen. It all seemed very scientific and above board so that was reassuring but yeah I just ah uh, it's a bit like you know I've got, I've got a friend who um got, went to Korea for a boob job I just I worry a bit about going and sort of you know like those adverts in the back of magazines that you see it's like uh, if you're going to spend a couple of thousand pounds on this is it if you can spend a tiny bit more and have it done somewhere properly that would be probably where I what I would do as opposed to sort of trying to get a bargain somewhere else when it comes
0: to something like this well and also you want to be treated okay too you want to make sure that the general anesthetic or the sedation is administered properly or that they're you know being as gentle as they can with your follicles and your uterus wall. (laughs) this is obviously a really personal conversation to have you you're very good at having a personal conversation and making it sound sort of light (laughs) and easy to talk about Uh, but obviously you know you your podcast charts your journey yeah. from the beginning yeah. at what point did you decide to be so open which I, I've got to say I really admire I think it's so important we're having this conversation it's going to be massively helpful yeah to people. I hope
1: so. I really hope so I think it was again I think it was when I realized my friend felt slightly ashamed of what she was doing when she was having her eggs frozen and I I just sort of it started this thought process of she's one of my most successful independent girlfriends and okay she hasn't got a boyfriend or a husband but it's 2020 so she's decided to do this amazing thing why should she feel embarrassed about it or that there's like a stigma around it or that it's taboo in any way i can't bear that that women already if you're single in your mid-30s might feel a bit ashamed or like they've failed quote unquote Mm -hmm. because they're by themselves and then they decide to do this very emotional thing treatment and, and they're made to feel sort of even worse about it because they feel like it's got to be this great hushed up secret that they can't talk about because it's like embarrassing and it's like an admission, as I said earlier, that they're not where they thought they might be in life. And I just, I sort of thought, well, no, actually not having it. Like if you're, if you decide to do it like so brave, really tough thing to put yourself through. So practical and pragmatic, and I, 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 mean, I should say, you know, all doctors should tell you it's no insurance policy, there is no guarantee of a baby. Obviously, you know, you have to bear in mind that it may come to nothing, ultimately anyway, but I still think it, it's, a, it's a good choice for certain women... Well,
0: it's proactive. Yeah. And actually, as a woman, you know, when it comes to meeting someone, there's only a certain amount of proactivity that you can do without being absolutely desperate. Yeah. You know, Psychotic. which isn't helping the matter. So and rather than just like hear this very loud tick tock in your mind, yeah. at least to be able to do something yeah. Positive and Yeah. So do something positive and then and, and then
1: hopefully feel alright about it and not be made to feel embarrassed about it. You know, I I I did it and I was i I've written about it and I've talked about it a lot and I was aware that, you know, I might feel a bit of relief having done it. I but even then I wasn't I didn't realise quite how much my shoulders would drop afterwards thinking, oh and, and I'm lucky I can say that from the position of having got twenty-two eggs. I might feel very differently if I'd got one or none. Um, I'm sure that would be a very different story. But I I just decided, right, well I'm gonna really shout about this and <laughs> And um, make a big song and dance about it because I just think it is really important that more people... You know, the science has got better. It is a viable option for people now, for women now. And therefore, yeah, it should be discussed more and talked about more. It should, we should be more open about it. So that was it, really. And there have been moments when I thought, God, you know, am I mad to be making such a big song and dance about all this? Am I, will I ever have a boyfriend again or is this going to put off every single man? And then already, actually, the number of messages and emails that I've got from women... About it. I, I hate talking about it as if I, I sound like I've got some sort of savior complex. I don't. But it just has reinforced that it is really important and there are women who are sort of struggling and worrying about this sort of stuff, and the more that more of us talk about it, the better.
0: Yeah. So and, I hope and, it's helpful. And yeah. I think men talk about it. I mean, personally. Well, yeah, sorry. Yeah. If yeah. I, I was a man yeah. and I met someone who had had the foresight to freeze their eggs and just think about the future I think that would be very attractive well in a way
1: exactly in a way it sort of shouldn't be off-putting because it's like I've gone well I'm going to do this because I don't necessarily want a baby tomorrow I'm just sort of yeah yeah doing something practical for the future so who knows they're in the freezer who knows what will happen we'll see basically
0: One of the things that I, I, I really admired you talking about in the podcast was that you, you weren't even sure whether you definitely wanted babies. And I think people often assume people who go to the lengths of egg freezing. And you yeah. actually to describe this isn't just a sort of quick procedure that's mm. done and dusted. Mm. It's a big investment in terms of time and emotion and mm. money. And I thought that was really interesting because I think a lot of people who go down that are like, but being a mother is everything I've always wanted, and you're really refreshing saying, I don't even know if motherhood is really for me.
1: No, and I still have this debate, you know, weirdly, I had a friend over for supper last night, and she's got three children, and I was talking about it with her, I sort of change my mind on this every day at the moment, I haven't, I still don't really have that sense of a ticking biological clock, I can feel quite broody sometimes, I've got a half brother who's a lot younger than me, so when I was a teenager he was a baby, and I'm very comfortable with babies having them on my hip, I grab my godchildren and my nieces and I'm I'm very comfortable around children. I do love children. I still don't know 100% that I do want my own. And I go round and round in my head about this and I worry, one of my overriding fears is what if I don't and then I get to 50 and I haven't and I it's the biggest regret of my life. But is that is the fear of that regret enough to make me want to do it? I don't know. And And it's also tied up with do I want it enough to do it by myself? Because I'm sort of single and back to being really happy again single having you know I'm always the worst person with breakups and I really wallow for extremely long periods of time I <laughs> really love a breakup listening to Tracy Chapman crying for months and months but I'm finally not crying over Tracy Chapman and happy again and and do I want to am I brave enough to do it by myself I so admire you know I've I've spoken emailed and and messaged single mothers um a lot thinking about this and I so admire them. And there is this amazing single mother sort of community, I think, if you if you go down that route. So I don't know. I'm still... The jury's sort of out. I, and I also think... I'm 35. I'm not 40. I think I sometimes overthink this. And I need to relax a bit and not worry too much because there is time.
0: But also, I think, realise that it's never going to be a black and white decision. You're never right. going to wake up, even when you're 50, going... You know, I absolutely know that I shouldn't have a child. You know, even if you then decide mm. to go ahead and have a baby on mm. your own, you're never going to be 100% sure yeah. that's the right child. Did decision. you know? But you knew
1: you wanted to have children
0: always? Or? Uh, no, I think even like in my pregnancies, the first mm. I, I, mean, the first time I was pregnant, I remember crying when I had the positive pregnancy <laughs> no. test. I was like, I'm not ready for this. I'm too young. And then I had a miscarriage. And that was really good for my thought process because it did make me realize that's what I wanted. You did want, yeah. But with each pregnancy, I was like, oh, oh God, I feel Yikes. so terrible. and. You know, I think I very often speak to women who are pregnant and very Mm. often they're in two minds about whether it's the right time. And I was, you know, when your baby's born, you realise that whatever time it is, whatever circumstances it is, it's always the perfect baby. Yes. Yeah, but then at the same time, I, you know, I've interviewed, you know, a few times single mothers. And, mm. and on the bump class, it's rare that in a group of 12, there's not one person who's doing it slightly differently. Really, that's yeah. interesting.
1: And you've probably seen that more and more,
0: right? Yeah. It, and it's so lovely love to have a sort of, yeah. you know, myriad of different experiences. Mm. But what I will say in terms of single parents is that... Being in a difficult relationship with the father of your child who has a lot of say over how that child is brought up can make things exceedingly complicated. And there is something refreshingly simple Mm. about being... I mean, listen, I'm not saying it is simple because Mm. obviously you've got extra complications Mm. being a single parent. But having spoken to women who've been in what have turned out to be quite tricky relationships, they sort of say, God, if I didn't have to factor my ex into this, it would be so much easier. And Mm. I think, you know, having spoken to women who've done it sort of both ways in a relationship and then on their own, they say, you know, they're just really grateful that we have the option nowadays. Yeah.
1: My mum actually quite often says, darling, just do it by yourself. I honestly think it'd be much easier. (laughs) A real, um, yeah, indictment on her past two husbands. So (laughs) I... So, well, yes, I mean, I am thinking all of this over at the moment. And actually, there was one point in lockdown when I did feel really broody. I think because I was living with my two nieces who were going through a very charming phase and eating their broccoli. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do this. And then maybe towards the end of next year, I'll start looking more seriously for sperm donors and just get on with it and do it. Actually, I think this year, because of lockdown, has been sort of such a write-off in so many ways and we haven't been out doing fun things or traveling. You know, I love traveling. I haven't done any of that, obviously that that deadline is now being pushed back a bit because I think, oh, maybe I'll just leave it a couple of years and see. And I've also sort of taught myself into this thing my friend was telling me last night, of being on my own forever, which isn't necessarily, you know, I'll probably fall in love a hundred more times. I'm tragic romantic. I'm sure I'll fall in love again in my life. It might not be tomorrow, but, I, you know, it could be in the next few years. And I, at the moment, I'm sort of convinced that I won't ever meet anyone, but you never know, do you? So... I just need to relax a bit, I
0: think. You've also been through a lot this year, you <laughs> know, just like taking the decision to freeze your eggs, to be so open about it. Like, let's, let's do things one step at a yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, it's very
1: me to be sort of planning 10 steps ahead. I think, yeah, just, yeah, calm down a bit.
0: And, you know, you mentioned just before that you felt that having got 20 eggs mm. and you've done that and mm-hmm. they're in the freezer and you've seen where they're living and you're happy yeah. that there's yeah. backup batteries. <laughs> That your shoulders have dropped. Do you feel much better about the whole ticking clock and this this idea that your fertility falls off a cliff? Do you feel like it's?
1: Do you feel reassured? I feel really reassured. I feel I I I know I've said it already, but I do feel very lucky because I got such a high number and I did it at a relatively young age. Do you wish you'd done it earlier? (laughs) I couldn't have afforded it, and I and no, not really, because I got twenty two eggs, so you know that's a good enough number. I think for me this was the absolutely the right moment of this is where I am in life. I'm still on the fence a bit about whether I do want children or not, but at least I have done this. Oh God, that whole cliff when you hit 35 thing. You know, it's not a cliff, obviously, it's a slope, etc. I, I, yeah, I, um, I think it was the right moment, and I'm really, yeah, really glad and grateful that that we can do it these days, that we have the option. That's the, and that's what I really want to point out on freezing time really you know it's obviously not for everyone it's obviously really expensive it's obviously a really grueling thing physically and emotionally to put your body through but we are lucky as a generation of women I think that we do have this option to do it to give us you know a bit of time to to think about what we really want rather than you know going to those weddings and desperately trying to find a sort of terrible boyfriend who will be a terrible husband (laughs) and sort of doing something we might regret in you know a few years time so that's where I feel really lucky I think.
0: And also just to be aware of what we can do, you know, which mm. is what, what your podcast has done. You know, the woman that never even thought about it because she didn't want to think about it mm. is more likely to regret a decision later on than if she really thought about it. You know, with the whole surrogacy thing, I didn't go for it in the end. Yeah. But I'm really glad I made an informed decision about right. whether or not it was right for us. Yeah. yeah. And. And so it is about kind of information and making sure that you do have proper information. And And thinking
1: it all, you know, taking time to think about it all. That's the thing I'm sure. I don't know how long you thought about the surrogacy thing. It's a bit like me taking a year to get my head around it. Yeah, properly thinking it through was a a good thing and reading about it and researching. So, yeah, a good thing, I think. Is there anything
0: (laughs) that you wish you'd known three years ago at the start of this that you know now?
1: I think I touched on it earlier. I think I've warned a lot of women. I felt worse after the collection. That was a thing that I don't think many people tell you.
0: So ideally, you want to take two weeks off.
1: Yeah, for I just two think weeks it's of... not like a facial that you go and you do in your lunch hour. You you just give yourself a bit of a break. You presumably is more likely
0: to work if you're kind to yourself. I
1: think so. Yeah,
0: I think. I mean, I mean that's a really simplistic way not... of looking at science, yeah, yeah, I am yeah, aware yeah. of that. But ultimately, you know, if you're going to go to that time and energy, you might as well do everything you can for it to be successful i
1: think you'll probably be quite emotional anyway so why you know we're all our own worst critics and we all have that hideous voice in our heads that's constantly shouting at us i think yeah exactly take time and just try and be kind to yourself it's so much easier said than done it sounds like a sort of self-help guru thing to say i know but um, yeah, give yourself a bit of a break during this and, and don't think you're going to immediately skip back to the office afterwards. Also, I think do like tell people. I, I mean, it's such a, a sort of individual choice, isn't it? And obviously I've told the, the whole world. First like page
0: of the national newspapers.
1: <laughs> yes. With your legs and pimples. Stirrups. <laughs> we, actually, my sister was on the phone to um, someone, a client of hers the other day and she was, she was at my house having lunch. And she said, oh, I'm just at my sister's house having lunch. And apparently the guy on the other end of the phone went, oh, is that Legs Akimbo sister? She's like, yeah, no, it's Legs Akimbo sister. I was like, oh God, that's what I'm known as now, Legs Akimbo (laughs) sister. But I do think it helps. If you can, I just feel sad thinking of women going through this not having some sort of support network, not telling, you know, it depends on what relationship you have with your parents or your siblings or your close friends. Or or your work. Or your work. But I do think it's a lot to go through the injections, the hormones, you know, like us saying people doing it if they've got full-on office jobs it's really hard I think if you can tell someone and you can have people who understand if you want to go home and put your feet up and go to bed early yeah try and I think the more people you can you can sort of tell the better and then it also just normal it helps normalize it because I don't think it should be seen as this embarrassing taboo thing to do
0: yeah I love the interview you did with the the girl in Egypt the oh, lady in Egypt. Reem, she was Reem. amazing wasn't she she yeah. was and no, no,
1: I'm still in touch with her now actually she I'm really in awe of her. She was very cool and very brave and she really there was some stuff that on the interview that I, I couldn't we couldn't put in but she was when she came out she said this is a woman just for listeners who she was she's one of the first single women in Egypt to go through egg freezing and she said amazing things like she, and, but also she was
0: open about it she really went public with it well she yeah she
1: she did it and she had to one of the things that I remember really shocked me she had to, she did it it was keyhole abdominally because she didn't want them to go take, poke the needle through her vagina because her virginity is really important to her So that was quite an eye-opening thing to hear. And then also, she did it all. She didn't tell anyone. Her mother cried when she told her and said, please tell no one, do not tell your aunts, do not tell your family. It's so shameful, this thing that you've done. And then last year, she decided to go public in a Facebook post that then went very viral, ended up being so viral in Egypt that it was discussed in the Egyptian parliament. And the Islamic Council, I think, in Egypt, had to issue a statement saying that it wasn't Haram, which is sort of forbidden... I think, anyway, she, and she just talked so openly and was so brave about it, but the things that, that, you know, the messages she told me she'd got, I mean, lots of supportive messages and lots of Egyptian women are hugely grateful, but the things that she's like called in the street now by Egyptian men, and the abuse that she has been given for doing this very brave thing was extraordinary, so no matter how much I grumble that, oh, in you know, it's a bit of a taboo in the UK, it's like, doesn't really compare to... Egypt or China there's a woman in China at the moment who's trying to she's trying to sue a Beijing hospital because in China you're not allowed to freeze your eggs if you're a single unmarried woman you know there are real battles being fought elsewhere in the world which I didn't really you know face anything like that so yes very brave women out there (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, you included in that. <laughs> I've got to say, I oh, am really in awe of you. <laughs> I absolutely Thank love you. the podcast. Really, genuinely. If, I, I highly recommend Freezing Time is available on all podcast platforms, isn't it? Yes. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's something we should all know about, whether or not we're considering it for ourselves. Because I mm-hmm. think as women, to be supportive of different women going through mm. different stages, and I think that's a really important thing to do. But also, it was just so interesting. It was so oh, eye-opening <laughs> and funny too. Good. i very, I'm very funny. glad. I
1: wanted it not. To- be sort of all you know tears and down as there are some terrible jokes in there some of my terrible jokes so yes i hope people like it
0: well thank you so much that was great (laughs) and thank you all for downloading another episode of the parenthood you can subscribe rate and review us wherever you've got this podcast from but in the meantime from sophia me thanks for listening and goodbye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter